Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. Thanks for joining me here on I Don't Care today. Uh, excited about my guest. My guest came from one of my, my good friends, Larley Hogue, who uh, actually works with me uh, and uh, who spoke incredibly highly of today's guest. I'm happy to, to uh, introduce you to Dr. Mark Poole. Dr. Poole is a cardiothoracic surgeon at Texas Health Physician Group in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So, Dr. Poole, thanks for joining me on I Don't Care. Thank you, Kevin. Delighted to be here and appreciate that uh, introduction. Yeah, you know, I always like to ask physicians, why, why, number one, why did you go into medicine? And number two, why did you pick the specialty that you did? Love the question. I went into medicine for a number of reasons. Number one is I care about people. And I perceive that being a physician was a way to affect others. Uh, that's really why I went into cardiac surgery in particular, because I perceived that it's a way to uh, help people that very few others get, um, that it's not uh, a silly thing to do. It's not, um, you know, something simple, but it's a complicated and um, difficult thing to do. Uh, I, I love my specialty. It's like a craft. I get to work with my you get to kind of rearrange something and see it work better at the end than, than the beginning. There's a craftsman part to it. Uh, but the deeper connection is with people. Uh, just the other day, I had a patient call up. I did bypass on him 10 years ago. And he called because now he's got a carotid artery stenosis. And he just wanted my opinion about it. Uh, when I saw him, I hadn't seen the guy in 10 years, but his wife immediately gave me a hug. I mean, I love that. That's why you do this, uh, is the effect that it can have on people. So that's that's the beauty of uh, being a physician and the beauty of uh, cardiac surgery in particular. That's great. Yeah. You know, I, I find that most people who are in healthcare just feel that it's, just, it's a true calling. And, uh, you know, I'm not a clinician, but I knew the first day I walked into a hospital, you know, that, that this was what I was called to do. So. Well, that, yeah, that's a great, uh, great story. Thanks for that. So, so let's talk there. We've got a couple of topics that I want to hit with you today. Uh, the first one is something that we all deal with, you know, and, and I hate to say this a lot of times we, whenever we do get complaints, uh, unfortunately it is about, Hey, my doctor didn't listen to me. My doctor didn't take enough time with me. So, you know, I keep hearing great things about, you know, your relationships with your patients. You just shared that story. So what do you do to really develop that that really effective patient physician relationship? Uh, you know, how do you communicate? What are your what what are, you know, just how do you make that happen? Appreciate that so much. In fact, I'm working on a manuscript right now for a book that goes through some of the tips because I've seen for myself this work and this not work. And I mean, as a patient that I've gone to see a physician and I'm sitting there in the exam room and the doctor walks in, doesn't look at me, looking down at something and says, oh, I see you're here for X. And it's just always on my mind because I know it can be done better than that. And I think it just starts with uh, the basics of building rapport. And so when I go in, for one thing, I'll, I'll typically review the chart uh, with, with an EMR. Of course, it's, it's reasonably easy to look up. If I've not met the patient, I acquaint myself with why they're there. 
and uh, any other distinguishing features, let's say, or ways that I might with the patient. And uh, I go in, I don't carry anything into the room. I know some of these are simple tips and, and I don't mean to be too rudimentary, but this is just how I do it, is go into the room immediately, uh, look at the patient. Of course, I might not know who it is if it's several uh, people in there. Um, extend a hand, you know, post COVID now, you never know if the patient wants to shake hands or if they do the fist bump or a high five or exactly what, but I'll, I'll kind of respond however the patient wants. It used to be a handshake all the time. And uh, I'll say, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Poole. Um, and they'll say their name typically, and I'll usually repeat it back to them. Oh, great to meet you, Mrs. I, and I, I'm one who I, I do tend to use the titles just because although I'm building rapport, I still like the professionalism of that. I, I'm not actually trying to be the patient's best friend. I am their physician. Uh, so that's just my style. I know a lot of doctors would use their first names. I got no problem with that, but I just, I, I refer to myself as Dr. Poole when I meet them. I'll usually try to by name meet whoever is with the patient. Maybe it's a spouse and so forth. That's another tip I've learned <laughs> is not to assume any relationship among the people <laughs> who are there. So even if I think it's, it's the patient's daughter, I do not say that. I ask for their relationship because sometimes it, they were married and I didn't know. Uh, so our tip is stay out of trouble. And uh, But part of my point is not just to get down to business, but to try to make that human connection before we move on to the medical part of it. And uh, so we just take a minute like that. And of course, there might be some small talk depending on the patient about the weather or, or just some topic uh, such as that. And then I'll ease into the medical part of it. And I'll usually give them actually a very quick summary of what I know already. I feel like that can prime us to get to where we need to go. As a specialist, I don't have to know about, you know, a cold they had in the fifth grade or something. Uh, so I'll typically say something like, oh, I was reviewing your records from Dr. such and such, whoever referred them. And I saw that you were having some chest pain over the past several weeks, did a stress test that was positive, and you had a cath and several blockages were found. And that's kind of where we are. Is that, is that how you would, you know, describe it? Or is that true to what you've experienced? And they'll say, oh, yeah. And I say, well, tell me more about that. So I'll set the groundwork with a few details and then ask them an open-ended question. Because um, I have found if you just start with an open-ended question, the patient may describe <laughs> from the fifth grade. Uh, and um, I don't like patients. I try not to. I think I read somewhere that a doctor will tend to interrupt after about 11 seconds or something like that on average. I don't know. It's not a good statistic. <laughs> so I try to avoid that. If anyone else is talking, I usually won't talk. And so uh, that's just how I lay it out. And then, of course, it's, it's all about eye contact, uh, about smiling. I didn't mention that, but when I go in, I intentionally try to smile. I've found, even my wife and family tell me, my neutral face looks upset or it looks intense. And so I constantly be reminding myself to smile or else I'll be misperceived. And so once again, like when I go into the room, the step before I step in, I say, smile. And I think that just eases the patient's mind a little bit uh, to see somebody that's smiling. 
And so once again, we're interacting. I'll I'll do the active listening skills of uh huh uh huh, you know, and and uh, nodding the head, uh, repeating back certain important features. Might say something like, "Oh, I hear you saying that X Y Z," and you know, tell me more about that. I think that's a great um, line to use when interacting with patients. Tell me more about that. How did that make you feel? Or what did you think was going on? I think patients like. Uh, it, it helps me to understand, but they also feel validated when I'm asking their opinion. And of course, some patients will say, well, I have no idea you're the doctor. And and of course, that's fine. But a lot of patients respond positively to that. Um, usually at that point, maybe we go into the physical exam. I'll typically wash my hands in front of them uh, while we're kind of talking about something low key. So I'll, I'll tend to ask them things about their family. Maybe if uh, if they have children or grandchildren, we can talk about that a little bit. I myself, I myself have eight children, so it tends to be a talking point um, that's a little aside from their their medical care, but a way to connect. And so while I'm washing my hands, uh, once again, I know this may sound weird, but I I think patients like to see that they like to see the washing of the hands because. Um, I don't know. They feel like doctors should do that or something. For me, it works better than just putting gloves on. Uh, so I'm kind of talking to them a little bit about their kids or grandkids while I'm washing my hands. And then I'll do the physical exam. For me as a specialist, that's not uh, all that important, actually. I maybe shouldn't say that on a podcast. But I mean, typically, <laughs> the patients had a lot of workup before they get to me. You know, they've seen their cardiologist. They've had the EKG. They've had an echo. Uh, they probably had a cath. And so for me, actually, the physical exam is another way to interact with the patient. Um, and I mean, I'm listening, of course. I mean, I want to pick up on if there are some physical signs. There's nothing quite like physical touch. Uh, I feel like COVID, unfortunately, kind of ruined uh, to some extent with the doctor-patient relationship. Uh, or there are different expectations now maybe about it. Everybody's kind of six feet away. Um, but just in life. I feel like that is a powerful thing. Uh, and of course, I'm very careful, uh, especially with women. I mean, it, you just have to uh, be, um, let's say, intentional. Of course, it's mostly with my stethoscope and that kind of thing. Well, so we get past uh, the physical exam and then really start drilling down to why is the patient there? Uh, what do we need to talk about? Typically, it's surgery because I'm a surgeon. And so I think another way that I can connect with patients in an intentional way is to be very and uh, one way to do it, for instance, is to use pronouns like so that once I don't use that when I walk in the room, because that's weird. They don't know me. Why would I be saying we all the time? But once I get to know them a little bit, start building that rapport and move into the plan, especially, then I can say something like, well, I think we should look at bypass surgery. That's a little bit different than saying you are going to have to have bypass. And, and I think that constant attention and being careful with the wording helps disarm it. All of the patients who are looking at heart surgery are already scared. They're already anxious. They don't need a, me to ratchet that up by saying words like must, need to, have to, you know, immediately. These kind of words, I think people naturally know that uh, it's a serious thing, and I don't need to dwell on that. 
So for me to disarm it slightly, now not to undermine it, it is a serious thing. So I wouldn't say, hey, congratulations, this is so great. You need to have surgery. I mean, that, that, that's nonsense. But all I'm saying is, is to carefully word it where it's a little less intimidating and make them feel like I'm on their side. I'm here for you. We are going to get through this together. Those are the kind of words that I think patients respond to. And it's not fake. I mean, it's not a show. It's just me intentionally doing it that way so that patients will have less fear. They'll have less anxiety. Another thing that I like to do is draw pictures. And I don't have a way to do it right now, but but if I'm describing bypass surgery to a patient, I'll usually, if there's a whiteboard, of course I'd use that. But if there uh, isn't, then I'll just get a sheet of paper and I typically uh, will just carry it in in my pocket into the exam room of uh, a diagram of a heart uh, from Gray's Anatomy, basically. And I'll draw on it the bypasses. And as I do, I'm trying to explain because I think most patients don't get it. I mean, a lot of doctors don't actually know truly how bypass is done. And so I'll go through that. And I, of course, another main part of it is avoiding jargon, avoiding words they don't understand. Which as a physician, I mean, this is my world is to use words that nobody understands. Among the doctors and nurses and everybody involved, we use these words all the time, but the patient's like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I try to bring that down. And one mentor I would want to mention is Dr. Shires, uh, Tom Shires. He's chief of surgery at uh, Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas. He taught that to me by modeling. It's not that he said, hey, you've got to do it this way. When I was a resident, I had the opportunity to work with him. And I, I like to say when we were in the surgeon's lounge and he was teaching us resident, he was going a mile a minute quoting this study, quoting that. And I'm telling you, I have not seen the likes of it really uh, from anyone else. And all I'm doing is praying he does not call on me <laughs> and ask me a question because I would look like a complete idiot. Uh, but just, man, this guy's mine. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm just trying to follow, you know, but we would go into a patient's room and it was like a switch where he went into patient mode uh -huh. and it was nothing like that. He would bring it down and, and use words that the patients could understand. And it was such a stark contrast. It really brought it home for me or my perception was too many doctors want to sound smart. So they use all these words, but at the end of the day, the patient had no idea what was said. And that's poor communication. In my opinion, it's actually better to use whatever terms the patient needs to understand. And that's the best physician maybe not sounding smart. If you took a recording of it, somebody else might think, wow, this guy's not that sophisticated of a surgeon, but it's a complete misunderstanding of what he was doing. So ever since then, I've modeled myself after him and some other person might perceive I sound kind of stupid, or maybe it doesn't scientifically represent the concept perfectly. I'm willing to give that up if the patient better understands what's going on. They didn't go to medical school, so they're going to be tough to explain everything to them anyway. Another example, when I was in fellowship, the, the fellow, when you're older than me, <laughs> her style 
was we would go in the patient's room. Now, these were all inpatients, mostly, uh, that we were together. Just had heart surgery. You know, maybe they're two or three days out. And consistent, her name was Dee, the, the other fellow. And I loved her. She was a lovely, lovely person and, and, and kind, okay? But her style was she would go in the room and say to like an 80, 83-year-old patient who had heart surgery three days ago, she would say, Mrs. Smith, you better get up and walk today or you're going to get a blood clot and die. Oh, my gosh. And, and walk out of the room. Oh, my gosh. And, and I was like, um, hmm, that's one way to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably not the way that's most patient-centric, but, you know. Probably not inspiring oh to the patient. And so I learned from her. And, and I, I uh, would nudge her here and there to try to tone down the rhetoric. Um, but uh, my style is much more inspirational, or at least tries to be. It's more about, hey, Miss Smith, I understand this is tough. This ain't easy on anybody. You know, you're in a you're in a rough spot here, but things are looking up. You're getting better. You're not in the ICU anymore. You've made progress already. To to bring out the positives of what's going on, and then link it to what I hope that the patient will do. To so for me, the style is more about, hey, you know, we're looking for you to walk three times today. This is your goal. And know that it's tough doing those walks, but when you do it, you are helping yourself get stronger and you'll get out of here even quicker. So it's more the carrot rather than the club over the head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and I find that that helps the patients in that tough spot to be able to digest it. So whether it's in my office or in the hospital, it's this constant trying to imagine what the patient is hearing, what they're feeling. And not invalidate that or not say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. You got to walk today. Why didn't you walk yesterday? To me, that's that's discouraged to act like they should be ashamed of not having done something. I, I'm not into that. That I don't think helps the patients. For me, it's all positive or, or whenever appropriate, positive reinforcement. Say, hey, oh, I know yesterday was tough. You only walk one time. Don't worry about that. We can't change anything in the past. Today's your day. Today is the day you're going to walk three times. You're getting stronger. Before you know it, you're going to be out of here. You're going to be back home with your dogs or whatever. I try to make mental notes of you know, what the patient has to look forward to and always be putting that in front of them to encourage them. And I feel like that is what helps my relationship with the patient, even when they're having a tough time. So those are some of my tips um, uh, or the, the way that I do things and tips I would give to other physicians. Going back to the basics of eye contact, a smile, listening, not just listening until they're done talking, but actually what are they trying to tell me is bothering them. And sometimes something may be going on in their life that's actually separate from their heart, but is in their mind even more important. You know, maybe uh, one of their grandchildren is in the hospital. You know, maybe it's uh, some life event that, and I need to know about it. They won't share it with me, though, if I don't build that rapport. And so that's why when I meet patients and, and families, once again, with this interaction, I try to start uh, in a warm way that draws them close to build that trust. 
And then as the relationship goes forward, continue to cultivate that so that they feel like I'm on their side, I'm rooting for them, no matter what, Dr. Poole is going to help and is there. And that, I think, is why my patients um, appreciate interacting. That is tremendous. There are a couple of points that you made that I really like, you know, particularly talking about, you know, being very intentional about washing your hands in front of patients, you know, particularly with a pandemic. We've seen that, you know, and in our physician group down here in Central Texas, it's the same thing. Very intentional about that. Patients want to know that's just another thing that eases their mind. Um, and I love the fact that you use, uh, you know, pictures to to tell the story. Uh you know, incredibly, uh, that's incredibly helpful because everybody learns differently. And, and I know for, for us, uh, my father-in-law a few years ago, uh, he was living in Missouri. He passed last year, but before that in Missouri and, and he had gone in and, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but I, obviously not at your level, but, you know, I've learned a little bit over the 30 plus years, but, uh, my my mother-in-law, the, the cardiologist and the cardiac surgeon, had both you know drawn on the uh, the diagram of the heart. So my mother-in-law said, you know, what? She asked me, what do you think? I'm like, you know, I didn't go to med school, right? But I'm willing. To, so I talked to one of our uh, CV surgeons here, and was able to. Hey, I took the picture. You know, they they forwarded the picture of my father-in-law's heart. I forwarded that picture to my CV surgeon who I've known for a long time, who I trust, uh, trust uh, implicitly. And so he was able to better explain it to me, but more importantly, my wife sitting next to me in the car. And, and so that was tremendously helpful. I'll tell you, I was at a hospital in Kearney, Nebraska, many years ago. We had a fantastic CV program and our volunteers actually, their big projects for our, for our cardiac patients were they would give them a pillow so you could hug the pillow. And on all the pillows, there was a diagram of the heart. And we only, we were a small town. We only had one CV surgeon. Uh, and so she would go in with her marker and say, this is what I did. And they had it on their pillow. And so they could, you know, when friends or family would come in, this is what they did to me. And, and so it was a great explanation. So fantastic that you're doing that. Well, I appreciate that. I do love those pillows, uh, and I find it in a very powerful thing for the patients. There's the hugging part when they cough, which is actually supposedly some studies have shown that you don't have to have it. And I, but for me, it's more of a souvenir of sorts. I love drawing on it. I usually write, um, "God bless and heal you." And, uh, you know, my faith is a part of my practice. It's not something I, you know, bludgeon people over the head with. Uh, maybe an example is I got a, a handwritten note um, maybe about a year ago from a patient. Once again, I'd done surgery four years prior. And he wrote that uh, he had, he just want to let me know that he had his pillow, the heart pillow, on his couch. And every day he saw it and it made him thankful to God to be alive. And I thought, wow, you know, what, a, what an incredible memento, you know, that reminds him that he was in a tough spot and he got through it and life is good. And I love that. Um, so, 
more power to the folks who are trying <laughs> to educate patients. Once again, they're not going to have the knowledge of a cardiologist or a surgeon, but if they can start to understand what we're trying to do, I think it's very helpful. For them. Well, I think that's great. Wow. This has been just fascinating. I've got so many more questions for you, but we're getting close to being out of time. So number one, you've got to, you've got to be back on again because we've got, yeah, to, talk about, we've got to talk about some other things. Uh, you may become uh, the official uh, cardiothoracic surgeon of I don't care, uh, but uh, there we go. But but uh, just in the last few minutes, any final words? You know, kind of around this. I mean, you you've done a, a fantastic job of delineating how you interact with patients. But you know, any uh, any any other things that you'd like to share? I guess one last thought I was just thinking of is is you were. Uh, mentioning the pillow is one technique I use, not to go a different direction, but to wrap it up, is I am not afraid to say, I don't know. And I know there are different opinions about that. I've read some physicians say, don't ever say that. It creates uh, doubt in the patient's mind. I've found the complete opposite. And I remember I was in college and uh, one of the professors said, and I just latched onto it for some reason. The smarter a person is, the more they say, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true or not, but it made me happy to say, I don't know. And ever since then, and especially in practice, I'm plenty ready to say, I don't know. And so often this comes up if the patient asks me about something outside of my specialty, or maybe it's something that can't be known. Like, how long do I have, doc? course, that's a big question on patients' minds. I, I myself don't like it when people put a number to that. That's just a personal style thing. It bothers me. Like, how does the doctor know? I mean, life is, life is interesting. Only God knows something. And so I'll usually say something like, well, I don't know. But if we follow this strategy, if we do this, my expectation is X. And I think the patients like that. Because it's not declaring what the future will be. I'm still giving them something to go on. Uh, but to be able to say, to have the, the confidence and the comfort to say, I don't know, I think that also creates a connection where I'm not acting like I'm the doctor who knows everything. I'm just another human being trying to help some people. And I think they see that when I'm willing to say, oh, I don't know. But what I think is this, it's just a different way to answer questions, but I think it's effective or I've found it to be effective, at least in my practice, and patients seem to respect it. It doesn't make them doubt something. It makes them actually believe me more because I'm a, I'm a real person just sharing with them what I believe and what I know or what I think will happen based on what I've seen in the past. So in the in the grand scheme of how I interact with patients, that's one more technique that I like to use to just build that rapport, build the trust, all to the point of encouraging the patients. And I think that helps them get through the tough time that they have in terms of their heart and especially heart. That is fantastic. Yeah. Dr. Poole, I, I love that, that you admit that you don't know something because you and I both know a lot of physicians who that would never come out of their mouth. But, but you know, <laughs> hey, uh, just just speaking the truth here. But but I think what, what is really great is, you know, 
as you said, you're just a person, but I think that disarms the patients a little bit because you've shown that humility uh, that they probably don't expect from someone of, you know, of your skill set. Sure. No, I appreciate that. And of course, I don't, I don't say it in a way where like, oh, I didn't ever read the textbook, yeah, so I have no I idea to what to class. do. I mean, it's not, it's not that, of course, but it's more of a real life, huh, I'm not sure. Because so much of life, I don't know, the older I get, the more I just feel like um, sometimes people believe strange things and they wouldn't admit it to you unless you get very close to them, you know? I mean, about supernatural things, angels and other things. I mean, a lot of patients believe that, but they wouldn't walk into your office and just sit down and say, hey, you know what? I think there's an angel here. I mean, so I've just found when I when I try hard to build these relationships, patients share with me and I love it. I love it I, because I believe that deeper human connection is what's going to help the patient. Sometimes I don't even operate on people. Maybe I just meet them and I tell them, hey, you don't actually need surgery and they're very happy. But usually they'll say something to me about, wow, I'm glad that I came. I'm glad I met you or something like that. And I love it. I mean, that really affects me deeply to believe that I encouraged that person and made them better, even though I didn't actually operate on it. Uh, that, that to me is, is an important part of what I do. That's fantastic. Well, Dr. Poole, I can actually and honestly say it has been a great pleasure meeting you. Uh, I will say you exceeded all expectations that Laura Lee set for you. And that's why I really want to have you on again, because as I said, I've got a couple of other topics that we've got to address. But uh, uh, so so folks, today we've been blessed to have Dr. Mark Poole, cardiothoracic surgeon at Texas Health Physicians Group uh, in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, be, uh, be here with me on I Don't Care. Uh, you know how to find us. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on marketscale.com. And uh, once... Uh, once we get this all tied up in a nice boat, you'll be able to pick it up on LinkedIn or even Twitter if I feel like tweeting that day. So with that, uh, it's great to, great to have you uh, join us today and we'll see you next time. Take care.